Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Thanks for leading us today. It's terrific. Hey, it's good to see you all here today. Those of you brave souls who made it out your driveways or down your hills or up your hills or however, however you made it here today. Glad you're here. My name is Tom, if I haven't met you, and I'm just uh, happy to be here this morning to share with you. Hey, when I was 12 years old, I checked a book out of my local library on the man Harry Houdini. You know who this guy is? Amazing what he could do. You know, I read this book with my country boy mouth just hanging wide open as it described how he'd be in a straitjacket, in an underwater cage, before a crowd, and somehow, at the last minute, just when people had given up all hope, what would happen? He would bubble to the surface, free of the straitjacket, free of the chains. Just these amazing things, these feats of strength that he would perform, and these wonderful, weird ways he would, he would wow the crowds. It was, it was, a, it was mind-boggling. And the truth is, magicians today continue to do a roaring trade, and we continue uh, to love it. Whether they're working crowds on the street, or packing out auditoriums, or showing up at celebrity parties, or posting on YouTube, or hosting Netflix specials, people like Penn and Teller, or David Blaine, or David Copperfield, they blow our collective minds with the things that they're able to do. How in the world do they do it? And there's been some fun movies about the art of... Uh, suggestion or sleight of hand. So I thought I'd show you an opening scene from one of our family favorites, Now You See Me. Take a look. See if you can get drawn in. Come in close. Closer. Because the more you think you see, the easier it'll be to fool you. Because what is seeing? You're looking, but what you're really doing is filtering, interpreting Searching for meaning. My job? To take that most precious of gifts you give me. Your attention. And use it against you. I'm going to flip through this deck. And I want you to see one card. And not this one. That's too obvious. Pay close attention. That was too fast. I'll do it again. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, did you see one? Yes. Do you have one in mind? Yes. And do you see your card here? No. That's because you're looking too closely. And what have I been telling you all night? The closer you look, the less you see. How many of you saw Seven of Diamonds? I know, pretty amazing, hey? (laughs) Sometimes we're looking too close and we miss what's going on. Well, today we're going to try to look close but not miss what's going on in this continuing saga that we've been exploring here on Sunday mornings. Uh, The story of the first Christians found in the fifth book of the New Testament, the book of Acts, and it tells the story. 
story of how the Holy Spirit has come upon this small group of believers, but now the news, the good news of Jesus and his resurrection has been, has been spreading. And in today's story, we're going to find another kind of magician has been working the crowd already. Simon in his name is his name, and uh, he helps, his story really helps expose the magician in all of us. Well, where are we at so far? Remember last week, we looked at the story of Stephen. Stephen was one of the seven guys who'd been appointed, a Greek-speaking Jew, had been appointed to take care of the distribution of food to widows. But what turns out is this man filled with the Spirit, uh, filled with wisdom, is, is a powerful witness to Jesus. And what we saw through him as he served, but then also suffered and died, was that he did it just like Jesus did. And his example was a challenge for all of us. The shape of his life and his witness was so shaped like Jesus. And I, if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen. Listen to it online, ericksoncovenant.ca. Um, Stephen's death, though, was kind of like a dam burst. And now persecution was just swamping the early church there in Jerusalem. But rather than drowning out the witness of the early church, the Holy Spirit used this persecution to expand the reach of the church. These first Christians poured out from Jerusalem, and everywhere they went, they told people the good news about Jesus and his resurrection. One of the places they went was surprising. One of the people they met was unique. Well, we're going to take up the story in Acts chapter 8. And so if you have a Bible, you can look at it or on your phone or just listen as I read it through. I'll make a couple comments as we go and then we'll dive in. So I'll I'll actually back up a little, take in some of last week's uh, part, but just at the start of chapter 8, here it is. On that day, the day Stephen was killed, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Let's just call time out for a second just to explain a couple things. Remember, Philip, he's another one of the same seven guys, Greek-speaking Jews, who were appointed by the early church to take care of the widow. So we heard the story of what happened to Stephen, and now we're going to get a bit of what goes on with Philip. He goes to a city in Samaria. And we, if we've been around the Bible a little bit, we recognize that Samaria should twig something for us because The Jews and the Samaritans didn't have a great relationship. We saw that when Jesus in John chapter 4 went into Samaria and had an interaction with a woman at the well, and we're told a number of places that there's not good relations here. The Jewish people saw Samaritans as hybrids and heretics, that they mixed things up, got things confused, and they wouldn't have any association with them. But, if you remember at the start of Acts, Jesus gave us a promise, gave them a promise, that when the Holy Spirit had come upon them and filled them with power, they would witness to Jesus in Jerusalem. And the next rung out that he mentioned was in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Well, here we see the first step out from Jerusalem. And where are they? Judea and Samaria. Philip specifically goes to Samaria. And so what we see is the good news about Jesus is crossing a line now 
crossing a, 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 a geographical, a ethnic, but also a, a spiritual, religious, a bunch of lines that have been created. The good news of Jesus is pressing over that line. We'll hear more about that in a second. Well, here it goes. When the crowds, the Samaritan crowds, heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Now, for some time, a man named Simon, who practiced magic in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria, he boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they, when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. (laughs) you got to check this out, right? (laughs) When they arrived... They prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. I want to call another time out and just explain something that can be easily misunderstood here in Acts. The normal experience of a person who professes faith in Jesus and is baptized in the name of Jesus is that they receive the Holy Spirit. And the consistent teaching through the New Testament is that people who have said yes to Jesus and are part of Jesus' family have the Holy Spirit. That's normal. But here in Acts, there's a few moments, you'll we'll see it a couple times, where something special is happening so that the... the Good news can really spread. And so, in this case, it's like the Holy Spirit held back a little bit. And he held back on purpose. He held back because what was happening here is the good news of Jesus was going to a whole new group of people that hadn't previously been accepted. They'd been previously excluded from the people of God. And so the Holy Spirit, we see him do exactly the same thing with Cornelius and the, and the Gentiles when the, when the gospel goes even further out. But for here, the Holy Spirit, it's like he holds himself back a little bit until people can come, apostles can come, Peter and John from the Jerusalem church can come down, and it's when they are present that the Holy Spirit comes in a powerful way. Very likely they spoke in tongues or something, real physical evidence the Holy Spirit had come into the life of these Samaritans. And so they could, they could see, oh, God really is in these people. These people have really been made part of the new family of God. They are to be fully included as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so what we see is not normal practice, but rather um, as the gospel is going out into new territory, the Holy Spirit, in this case, holds back a little bit so that they can be fully included in the family of God. And we'll see something like that happen uh, again as we continue in Acts. Well, they do receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money? You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. 
Repent of this wickedness and pray to God in the hope that He may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. What a terrific story of people hearing the good news about Jesus, coming to believe in Him, being baptized into Christ, receiving the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of ways that we could go with this story, a lot of different things we could explore. You already heard some of them. But we're going to focus our attention on Peter's pushback against Simon's offer to purchase grace. That, that particular pushback that Peter gave. Simon, as we read, was a very big deal before the good news about Jesus had swept through his city. And though he himself had come to believe and was baptized, somehow he had missed something in the telling. And he was still trapped in an old pattern of thinking about God and of power and of even grace. But here's the thing. Like Simon, we can get trapped in old, outdated ways of thinking about grace, too. And if we aren't careful, we can start believing stuff that actually contradicts what Jesus has already accomplished for us. And so Peter's pushback, it might have exposed Simon for who he was, but let's be honest, it can expose us, too. At least it can expose me. And I'd like to take us through that, how Peter's pushback reveals God's grace and exposes the magician in us all. Let's see how this works. First, I want to say that Peter exposes the magician, at least in me, the person who would turn grace into an illusion. Simon wants to buy grace. He wants to buy God's power. He thinks God's gift of the Holy Spirit is somehow up for sale. And Peter's response is very swift and very sharp. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. And the fact is that grace, as a free gift from God, lies at the very heart of the good news. It's at the absolute center of Christianity. That God's grace cannot be earned. That God's gift of salvation, His gift of new life and forgiveness and freedom, the gift of the Holy Spirit Himself is something given without charge, without merit, without condition. The, this core truth of Christianity is stamped all over the Scriptures. Now, Paul, who currently in the story of Acts is known as Saul, and he's currently trying to destroy the church, but later on will become the church's greatest advocate, he said in a letter to the Ephesian church later, these words, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And those of you who are doing, I know some of you have this memorized, but those of you who are doing the memory verse challenge or memory scripture memory challenge, this is a great series of verses um, to, to memorize. This is really terrific. It, it's the core of the Christian faith. This most wonderful reality that what God did for us in Jesus, He offers new life to us free of charge. But surprisingly, or maybe not, I don't know how it is for you, surprisingly, I think we can find that difficult to take. Or maybe even more difficult to maintain. It's like we think, this has got to be too good to be true. We hear about the good news of Jesus. We can even come to a place where we're willing to accept 
the, the, the gift of God as free. But then we start thinking, okay, yeah, we get that it's free, but I'm going to have to keep this grace through moral effort or through doing some kind of good work or by, as it were, topping up what God has done for me in some deserving way. But this is false. Either grace starts free and stays free or it ceases to actually be grace. So when Peter pushes back on Simon, he pushes back on me. He pushes back on us. Any attempt to redefine grace as something we do to get or to keep turns grace into an illusion, something that claims one thing but actually delivers another. Here's the gospel truth that Peter wants Simon and wants all of us to get. If it ain't free, it ain't grace. Can you say that? If it ain't free, it ain't grace. This is bedrock Jesus. This is the ground we walk on. It's grace, it's grace, it's God's grace. It's free, it's unmerited, it's unearned, it's undeserved, and it's offered to us. And it stays that way forever. Maybe another way of putting this would be that Peter exposes the magician in me that would evade grace through clever slights of theology. (laughs) In the next sentence, Peter says, you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. And what Peter points to is critical, that any effort to earn God's grace is actually a strategy to evade it. Let me say that again. Any effort to earn God's grace is actually a strategy to evade God's grace. That is, to misunderstand God's grace given to us actually means that we're misunderstanding God's relationship with us. That's why Peter says, your heart's not right for God. God wants to give all of himself to us. He wants to come into us and live in us by his Holy Spirit. But that gift, the gift of God's Holy Spirit, is not something that can be earned or paid for. God comes in for free or he doesn't come in at all. We've got to see this for what it is. Whenever we attempt to redefine grace as though it's something we do deserve or we've earned or we're keeping or maybe even losing based on our performance, we're actually evading grace, which actually is a strategy to evade God. But you know what? Most people, when they come to follow Jesus, at least initially, the danger isn't at the beginning. We know we're sinners. We can remember. It's pretty fresh. We know we need God's grace. We're grateful for Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross, the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us. And most Christians understand we can't earn God's gift of salvation, the gift that's given freely through Jesus. And so we come to him humbly and we come to him and accept his forgiveness as a free gift. That's where we start. It's after we've been in it for a while that we can get in trouble. Because we can start to think that God's gift of grace that was given without human effort now has to be kept through human effort. That it's won or lost, as it were, based on our performance. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit does work in us. We are a construction zone, a renovation site for the Holy Spirit. He does come in, and how we live and love and repent and respond, it does change. The Holy Spirit creates in us a whole new way of being in relationship with Him, a whole new way of being in relationship with each other. This has profound personal and behavioral ramifications. But, That's all a result of grace, not a condition of grace. The gift of life that we receive by grace through faith in Christ is also kept by grace through faith in Christ. It's not as though now that the gift of grace has been given, it's up to us to complete it in our own effort. But if we aren't careful, we can start to think that. Maybe we look around and we feel, you know what? 
People are abusing God's grace too much. I mean, look at that guy over there, right? You all know that guy? <laughs> it's probably me you're looking at. But, you know, you're like, that guy is abusing God's grace. Surely it can't be that easy. Or we feel frustrated by our own struggles to give up control of certain things or to, 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 to really yield our lives to God. It could be that we start feeling it is too easy, that grace can't stay free or it's going to be ruined. People are getting away with murder out there, people, you know? Let's protect grace by putting up some rules. I myself have been very disturbed lately by false teaching that's been circulating that in order to be a faithful Christian, we need to go back to keeping Old Testament laws. That is false and harmful. Because it's the denial of God's grace. God forged a new covenant through Jesus. And he gave us the gift of his Holy Spirit as a free act of grace, which cannot be kept through maintaining obsolete laws or commandments that were part of a previous covenant. Now, sometimes it's not that. It's not trying to keep Old Testament laws, which most of us aren't that tempted by. But it's just a particular expression, maybe a cultural expression of Christianity. We think that only true Christians will vote for or, or against certain Parties, or only real faithful Christians will stand up for or against certain issues, or, or maybe you can really tell who the true Christians are by a certain social platform that they adhere to or reject. But whether it's a regression back into the old covenant, or a so-called progression into some revision of Christianity, it can all get cast in such a way that that's what true Christianity is all about. But when you look past the magic, they all have one thing in common. They're, in that sense, clever slights of theology which turn the grace of God into something that we perform, into a work that we do. And it's actually an abandonment of the grace of Jesus. Now, in reality, this is not new in the slightest. This has been going on all through Christian history, even back in the New Testament. Paul faced off with a group of Christians in the province of Galatia, on just this issue, when he said to them at the start of Galatians 3, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit... Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? And Paul's very specific in this book. When he means flesh, he means the works of the law. In the original context, these Christians were being told that, yeah, 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 grace is free, we get it. But in order to really be a faithful Christian, you need to add back certain laws from the Old Testament. In particular, things you eat or don't. Days you keep or don't and whether or not you practice circumcision. Because those were key markers that the Old Covenant people used to set out who the faithful people of God were. They were done, but they thought, well, in order to be faithful, we need to keep practicing those things. And Paul just went wild on this. It was an evasive strategy that would lead them back into slavery. Read the book of Galatians sometimes. He went wild about this. It's critical that we understand that it's grace from start to finish. That how God has begun His work in us is exactly how He's going to finish that work in us. And if we're tempted 
to rejig Christianity, to pose faithfulness as either a return to some kind of old covenant observance or prop up a Christian way of living with another set of rules of some kind, we have in fact evaded God's grace entirely. Because friends, the story we have to tell is, from, is about grace from start to finish. I had a great chat this week with two of my new friends who are here today, Camden and Karsten. They couldn't make it up the hill to their church. Uh, sorry, guys. We know what it's like. Marvin and Darlene live up above that church, and it's a hard one. So we had talked about you guys coming here this morning. I'm so glad you're here. We had a great lunch this week. We, were, uh, we did the hampers together, and we were talking about this community, and they have such a heart to serve this community, and I'm really glad you're here. But we were talking about this this week, about grace and about faith, and we were sharing some of our different thoughts and experiences But the reality is, the story that we have to tell is a story that is about God's grace, of what he has done to us, the very gift of God to us in Jesus, unmerited, unearned, and utterly sufficient for our total salvation. So we need to hear the words of Peter here. Any evasion of grace is an evasion of God. And we need to keep coming back to grace, coming back to faith, and let the Holy Spirit finish what he started in us. Another way of putting this might be that, that uh, Peter exposes the magician in me that tries to escape through personal salvation techniques. One of the things that wowed me uh, about guys like Houdini is their ability to escape impossible situations. The truth is, we often try to save ourselves. We try to be that escape artist. Peter's call to Simon can be shocking to us when he says, repent of this wickedness. Pray to the Lord in the hope that he'll forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. Because grace at its core means that we give up trying to save ourselves. We no longer try to be our own saviors. In fact, even to do anything like that is to deny grace. And it's when we finally realize that, we realize, I cannot save myself, I've got to stop trying, that we can turn around and go the other way. We can repent. I mean, repent is a complete 180 and go the other direction. A 180 in our thinking, in our approach, in our attitude, in our action, that we turn away from being our own personal Savior and we turn to Jesus, who's the only Savior who is actually able to help us, actually able to save us. We don't come to God with a sense of entitlement or an offer to pay or to earn. No. Or maybe the idea that we don't need as much grace as the next guy. Jesus, if you could just give me a little bit, I'll be, you know, I'll be good. We're not our own saviors. Saving ourselves can look like a lot of things, but at its essence is this. Believing that what Jesus has done for us and is now given to us by his Holy Spirit is not quite enough. It's not adequate. It's not able to do enough to really bring life and purpose and freedom and forgiveness to our lives. We need to do something else. We can try to save ourselves when we refuse to trust God's good intentions toward us. And we, we try to make our own way. We try to, I can make a better life without you, God. Or maybe we try to escape judgment ourselves when we refuse to accept God's forgiveness in Christ. We refuse to accept the fact that Jesus was judged for us. Judgment has been taken away. Maybe we try to rejig our own salvation when we add things to the list that God never expected of us. In its simplest terms, the call here is to repent of any inkling that Jesus is not enough, that the Holy Spirit is not enough, that there's something we need to add or perform or do in order for grace to be activated in our lives. I was just reminded, I was reading a great book by John Or- Orberg yesterday, and he talked about repentance, but he talked about it not being so much just that we're, we're turning away from as much as who we're turning toward. He said this, this is where grace comes in. 
I cannot replace an idol by turning away from it. I must turn towards something. Friends, we turn toward Jesus because Jesus is enough. He's more than enough. And to add anything to that, and anything to grace, is to destroy it. All attempts to save ourselves need to be abandoned so we can abandon ourselves to the grace of God. Well, that leads to the final way that Peter's pushback exposes the magician in me. That is the magician in me who projects the freedom of grace without the forgiveness that grace brings. Simon, Peter says, I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And what Simon can't see about himself, Peter reveals that his drive to purchase grace comes from a place of bondage and captivity. But God wants him to be free, to be truly free. What was true of him can be true of us. Whenever we find ourselves clamoring for the freedom that Jesus gives without the grace he's provided, when we clamor for the freedom that he's offering without the forgiveness that has been accomplished by Jesus, whenever we do that, it's because in some critical way, we've forgotten that all freedom flows from forgiveness. It can't be any other way. That God's grace always brings freedom, and that freedom is accomplished by Jesus through his forgiveness. There's no freedom without it. Freedom, as we discover through the whole of Scripture, is what God actually wants for us. It's what He designed us for. To live fully free is to live fully human in a right relationship with Him. And grace is the only way we can be truly free. Well, my hope for us all today is this. That we would not only fully receive God's gift of grace, wherever you are at today, Some of you have been following Jesus for a long time, and so the challenge today is to realize in what ways in my own life have I, though I would acknowledge and maybe even say the words that God's gift of grace is free, I have fallen into old patterns of thinking that that grace is something I need to add to, that I've got to perform or God's going to abandon me. And maybe there's ways in your life you realize I've got to come back to grace, come back to faith. But it may be for you today that you've just been exploring faith in Jesus. You've been wondering about things. Or you've been seeing very much, If I, I just need to measure up. I just need to do better. I just need to perform in a certain way so that God will love me. I hope you hear today the truth of the Christian story, the truth of what Jesus has done. That not only can you receive God's grace, but you can revel in it. You can live a life of total freedom and total forgiveness in the grace of God that is given without condition to you. My hope and my prayer is that we would be so taken with what Jesus has done for us that we'd be so filled with the Holy Spirit as we respond to His gift of grace that His life and His love and His freedom and His power would flow from us as naturally as water bubbling up from an artesian well. Because at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, what Jesus has done for us is enough. What Jesus has done for you is enough. It's more than adequate. His grace is sufficient for us. The Holy Spirit is more than enough for the task. He is more than able to finish the good work that God has started in you and in me. Let's pray. Jesus, for your grace, I am thankful. We stand as undeserving people grateful for the gift of your life given to us. And Lord Jesus, for all the ways that we take your grace and flip it on its head 
and make it about us, we ask for your forgiveness. For all the ways we think, I've got to earn this, pay for this, I've got to deserve this somehow, we confess that. As wrong-headed, as sinful, as something that's going to hurt us, your desire for us to be free was hard won on the cross. And I hope and I pray that we would be able to live into that grace given to us to truly experience the freedom that comes from forgiveness, the life that comes from grace. In all the ways that this needs to be applied to our hearts and minds today, to our lives, Lord Jesus, we submit to you and ask you to lead us and guide us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, I am thrilled that you're here today and I hope you can join us for coffee afterwards. Uh, Would you stand and let me just bless you as you go. Would the God of grace fill you with his love and power? Would you leave today knowing that you are accepted, that you are beloved in him? And as you walk into your week, would you revel in the grace that Jesus provides? God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.